I'm having the most wonderful day off. Oh yeah? I really am. So a lot of times I'm, I'm really bad at、um, rest and leisure because like after my work on Sunday, I turn into a slug person with a goblin brain、mm-hmm. and I just do nothing. And then I end up staying up really late. Doing nothing and then waking up late and feeling like a slug person all day.、Mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? This weekend's gonna be different. And so I went to bed at a relatively reasonable time. Which is <laughs> what's relatively reasonable? Well, it wasn't two or three o'clock in the morning. So that was good. Okay. Gotcha. Like twelve, one o'clock. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was about midnight when I went to bed. Well, that,、um, that's, that, that's just called normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For,、um, for my non days off, I try to get in bed by 10. But anywho. Gotcha, gotcha. This, is, this is why I messed up.、Uh, anywho, so I woke up at seven o'clock. I went to the gym and I packed my clothes. They have a shower there. So I had to use the shower gym, which is this place, this anytime fitness I go to is pretty clean. But、mm-hmm. you know what? I was like, I'm just going to do it even if it's gross. And so had a decent workout, got all ready, went、mm-hmm. to a breakfast place and had delightful pancakes,、mm-hmm. lemon ricotta pancakes with a、How、side you- of bacon. I, I st- Okay, I still struggle to put the word delightful. These are、pancakes. good. These are good.、Okay. They're fluffy and warm. They got ricotta、okay. in them. They got this、yeah. lemon spread. Ooh, okay, actually, yeah, that does sound pretty.、Decent. It was really good. And went with the bacon. Yeah. And I, this is a big deal for me. I ate all of my food, and I、What? never eat.、Oh, I ate everything on my plate. There were a few errant、What? strawberries, but everything else I ate, and I was very、yeah. proud. Is this like a sign to you that things are going well in the spiritual life? Maybe, or maybe it's because I haven't been eating very well the last week, and my body needed food. <laughs> I, But, to- yeah, I totally hear you, dear, about not eating well like, the last week. I've had so much fast food this last week. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is not good. Not only have I been eating like a lot of fast food, but I've been dreaming about eating food. So I think my subconscious was telling me something. So I, so I ate, and that was good. And then after that, I went to see、um, Birds of Prey,、mm-hmm. Harley Quinn, the the. Fabulous Emancipation of Harley Quinn. It's a really、mm-hmm. long title. Yeah. But I saw the movie. And? It was good. It was good. So we all know that my taste in movies, very low bar, very low brow for, for Anthony.、Mm-hmm. So the movie it was basically a popcorn action movie infused with girl power. Mm hmm. The first part was I don't like when they do this thing where it's like、uh, the narrative structure was you go back in time, forward in time, introducing all these characters. It was a little bit messy. I didn't care for that. Right. But my goodness, if you want some action scenes, the, the second half of the movie was amazing. Amazing.、Mm. Maybe I'll go. It's playing, actually, it's playing in my town tonight, which is rare. Nev- release, when they come out the release weekend, they never play here. Maybe、really? I'll go see that tonight. Yeah, it was it fun. It was fun. Now, it's, it、yeah. is rated R, and it's definitely for the violence. And there are a few moments of violence which were like, I had to like close my eyes a little bit. That、right. was near the beginning.、Um, and then language, definitely a lot, of, a lot of bad words. But as far as an action popcorn movie, it was delightful.、Yeah. I'm a DC fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're, it's definitely better than Suicide Squad. And I like、um, Suicide Squad. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but I actually liked it. Okay, I'm interested to hear your opinions, but I won't spoil anything. Okay.、Uh, I'll just say one thing Harley Quinn with a hammer on roller skates. Amazing. <laughs> I mean, that is Harley Quinn. <laughs> Margot Robbie, she's so good at playing Harley Quinn. It's amazing. That's so、um, awesome. And my one complaint is I would have liked to have seen more interactions between the Birds of Prey, those characters.、Mm-hmm. They only come together kind of at the end. And it's fun.、Mm-hmm. It's good. But I like to see more of that. So, but it was great. It was great. And so I played a little bit of video games. And now I'm here recording 
Clerically speaking. And yeah. I'm Father Anthony. And I'm Father Harrison. Yes, we are uh, recording. We rarely tr- we try hard not to record on our day of rest because it's important to rest. However, uh, I'm leaving for Australia on Wednesday. And I'm like, this is really the only day I can record unless I have to wake up really early on Tuesday. Nah, it's and not going to work. So, uh, yeah, so thank you for... For, for this. Um, it's okay. Yeah, so it's I'm good ready for that. It's a good thing I like you, Father Harrison. Oh, good. Excellent. I like you too, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so can we talk about the yeah. fact that you're going to freaking Australia? Yeah. I'm going to Australia. <laughs> and why? <laughs> I think you might have mentioned it, but why yeah, are you going so to Australia? There is a conference called Theological Anthropology for the Third Millennium. So my field of study is the, the, theological anthropology. And so a friend from Twitter, Tom Gurley, uh, suggested to me that He's like, hey, you should come to this conference. And I was looking at it, and I, I knew Tracy Rowan was going to be there, who I very much want to meet, and I because I've been having some email correspondence with her. She's a Ratzinger scholar, so I like. Okay, yeah, yeah, like she actually knows him. I'm like, oh my gosh, two degrees <laughs> of separation. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I'm going to this conference for that. Um, so yeah, so I submitted a paper, and it got accepted. My goodness. Uh, to this conference. So I'm talking about the role of St. Bonaventure informing Ratzinger's understanding of the concept of reason. It's a short paper. It's only like a 20-minute paper. Mm-hmm. It's not meant to be like an hour-long lecture or anything like that. But it's it, it's not cheap to fly to Australia. My goodness, no. It is not cheap. It's like It was like $1,700. It's like literally on the other side of the world from you. It's literally on the other side of the world, yes. Uh, I mean, we are on one coast and they are on the other coast. And there's just water in between us. <laughs> so, um, so to help afford to pay to go, or at least to cover some of the costs, because usually if you're going to go that far away, you're going to make a trip of it, right? You're going to go for three weeks. You got to. But that's all I have holiday time-wise, because I have all these other things going on this year. Mm. Like, there's a wedding in Pittsburgh, right? Oh, there yeah, is there's a that, wedding yeah. in there's a, I have a wedding to do in D.C., mm-hmm. I got, and I got some other things I got on the go. So, I'm like, this is, I can only go for eight days. So anyway, so Tom said, well, hey, let me try and get you some speaking gigs to help cover some of the costs. So I'm like, okay, that would be helpful. Yeah. Um, because my diocese doesn't cover this, even though it's like, and my, my program doesn't cover this. Usually, like if you're in other institutions, sometimes they'll give you like a stipend first travel every year. Right. My institution doesn't do that because we're all distance anyways. Um, and so I'm giving a talk on, mon- on the Monday to... Uh, students at the University of Notre Dame. It's their first day of their semester there. And so there'll be a small group there. And mm. then um, I'll be hanging out with Bishop Umbers while I'm down there. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Which is going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm really looking for. He got me a place to stay at the cathedral there. So I'm there till Tuesday morning. Then I fly to Perth, which is on the other side of the continent. My goodness. <laughs> it's a three-hour flight, three-and-a-half-hour flight to Perth. Um, and then so I'm going to be in Perth for just about... 55 hours or so and uh giving a talk uh, to some students there as well so these two talks are going to be very similar more or less on friendship maybe with a tinge of stuff about on vocations what is what does christian friendship mean and then um and then i'm going to give a talk to staff at the university of notre dame on the what's the word i'm looking for i'm going to give a talk to on uh, basics of theological anthropology for the university like why why catholic teaching on the human person is so important in a university context and what are some of the stuff we're facing today and then i'm giving a lecture at the dawson society on apologetics for the third millennium so i'm going to talk about 
what I think apologetics needs to look like today. Uh, this is some, this is something that's flowed out of my master's thesis, and so I'm very eager to give that talk. So when we've done recording today, I got to go write a bunch of talks. <laughs> uh, yeah, I seriously. <laughs> I, got, I got well. I mean, the lectures already ready to go. Some of the and I I got a good chunk of the apologetics thing already done. But I got nice. the and the these other talks are easier to do, so they're not um they're not. I don't, but uh, yeah, so. And actually, do I, giving these my, my intro to theology class has been really good at helping me understand how much I need to prepare text-wise for X amount of time. So like about 2,500 words usually covers me for about 45 minutes of talking. There you go. So now I'm learning that, which is good. Um, yeah, and so the apologetics lecture, it'll be recorded, and they'll be putting it out in the Dawson Society. But also, I will try and kind of reformat the content a bit, and we can offer it as a future episode, because it's something that's really dear to my heart. It's been something I want to talk about. So yeah, so I'll be in Australia for eight days. And so <laughs> the next time we record, I'll probably be really groggy, because I'll have just gotten back from Australia. So I apologize in advance. But yeah, so that'll be, so it'll be a bit of a holiday too, right? Like, I have nothing on the Sunday in Sydney. I'm at the cathedral. I'm like a 10-minute walk from the opera house. It's going to be fun. That's exciting. Are you worried at all about the jet lag going there and giving your talks? Well, yeah, sort of. But I mean, well, it's weird because I'm actually like, okay, even though I'm going ahead a day, I'm actually like, when I like, it's really only, even though it's the next day, it's, how do I want to put it? Like, I, I leave on a Wednesday, I get there on a Friday by their time. Mm-hmm. But it's really actually only like going, in a way, it's like going back five hours, not ahead. Okay. So it'll be actually easier, I think, to adapt going and coming back much easier than going to like England and stuff like that. Um, so I don't know. Who knows? I've never, I've, this is the furthest I've ever traveled. So <laughs> I, uh, I've never done a 15 hour plane ride before. Yeah, that's going to be a whole thing. That's going to be a whole thing. That's why I said to them, I said, can I please give my talk on this Saturday? <laughs> right. <laughs> because exactly. I do not want to do it the day I land. No. I'm going to land. I'm going to throw my stuff at the cathedral and I'm going to head over straight to, uh, to, uh, to the university. I'm also going to have a dinner with Father Bob Lestrange from Twitter, which will be nice. Uh, oh, he's over there. Yeah. Yeah, he's over there. He's actually in Melbourne, but he'll be in Sydney for a few days. So and around Neat. that time, so we're gonna hang out for dinner. So that'll be nice. So yeah, that's what I'm doing. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Do you know what else is pretty cool? What? The Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Are, are you just giving up? Yes. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I, that, you know that I have, we have permission to give up. That's all. That's all. We That's do. All. We do. We do. Because this is one thing I, I've been praying about. It's, you know what? You've been I'm praying gonna, about the Summa? Well, it, it, it's involved in my prayer that okay. I, not only am I going to have to accept the weaknesses I have in my life, yeah. everyone is going to have to accept the weaknesses in my life. That's fair. Or if they don't, I have to be okay with that. So instead of just accepting them, I'm going to lean into them and try to do the worst or most abrupt 
transitions so i possibly saying, can what you're saying is we need to be the worst version of ourselves i'm saying only we there, should only yes. there does the grace of god reside and, mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. make manifest itself so i'm just gonna oh, be totally real fair. open to my weakness totally fair totally sin fair. Totally boldly fair. okay excellent um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh so, so this is an older tweet but i i, I saved this for a while i want to talk about it now this is from joe pesce spada and he says people be like one day you'll know why god put you through this which like yeah but please remember that that day might be the last day and not just something like five years down the line or something Hmm. so yeah so this is important it's really tough because when someone's suffering and you're entering into their suffering in the limited way that you can and being empathetic and being present, you know, I know as a priest through my own experience and the experience that I've had with others that very often there comes a day when you actually can be thankful for the suffering you went through. Right. So for me, that time is a lot of stuff in seminary that not right. only am I over it, I'm actually, I actually can be thankful for it because of the grace that God has brought out of it. But Joe brings up a really important point that some of these realizations we might not get in this life, you know, especially Mm -hmm. with like the really, really big sufferings, they're not going to make sense in this life. So you have to keep that in mind that this life is not our only life and that some things, I mean, they're really only going to make sense at the end of the time. And that can be frustrating. That requires like a lot of faith, a lot of trust, a lot of hope really, but it Mm -hmm. is absolutely true. But I like the way that he kind of like qualified that. I think that's important to remember. And I think, with that too, it, it, I, what he's trying to get at is, a lot of times people say, "Well, well, there's got to be a reason for this suffering," and I'm like, "Well, no, <laughs> yeah, not always." So, I mean, yeah, there's a reason. That person's a jerk, and they punched you. That's the That's reason. The reason. <laughs> that is, that is the reason. That is it. There, there is no further explanation. They'll be like, "But yeah, but like," and they. I think sometimes we look at God's freedom with us as if it's. He's kind of like a puppeteer, right? And so, like, yes. why did God allow this to happen to me type of thing? And so, what, like, I get to this, too. It's this idea that, no, no, suffering just happens. And I think the answer we're going to find in eternity is not why did this happen, but who was there with us in it? Oh, okay, yeah. Jesus Christ. Right. This is the whole point of suffering. This is what Jesus teaches us and reveals to us from the cross, that when we suffer— He's really there. Mm-hmm. He's really there. The answer to suffering on the Christian in the Christian realm is is the cross. Other, that's the only answer God gives us. And it's tough because it's not like an answer. Like when you when you solve a math problem and get the answer, there's a certain satisfaction in that because like mm-hmm. it's all wrapped up neat and tidy in a bow. Mm-hmm. But for the Christian, it's different. Like it's not an answer that you get and then it's like okay, we're done. You know, the yeah. answer is something we meditate on and enter deeply and live through our lives. Yeah. And that's that that requires a lot of faith. Um, yeah. But exactly. uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, then, yeah. Uh, but I do. Th- so I do think it's it's really important what you said. You know, what's the reason for the suffering? There is no reason. <laughs> I think that's important on like a practical temporal level. Yeah. But I think you'd also agree that on a cosmic eternal scale, there is going to be an answer to that yes and the answer is sa- the salvation of others exactly in my opinion at least sorry maybe I think that's I, my yeah. opinion on that but uh, that, that's why we, this is why we suffer mm-hmm. 
if God has to suffer to save the world and we are made members of Christ's body, then we too have to suffer to save the world. And here's the thing about suffering. Like, oh, a lot of times, maybe we read too many pious books and don't get me wrong. I'm all about reading pious books, but we misinterpret them and we don't understand the depths at which the saints are talking when they talk Mm -hmm. about the beauty of suffering. Because suffering, to be suffering is still gonna be suffering. And yeah. suffering it isn't- It sucks. <laughs> exactly. It's not neat and tidy. A lot of times it doesn't make sense. It's chaotic because suffering by itself is this unreasonable, um, unnatural thing, right? Mm-hmm. So like, oh, this I'm not suffering well. I hear this all the time. I'm not suffering well. Well, I you gotta give yourself a break because like sometimes suffering well is just waking up the next morning and going to say your 15 minutes of dry prayer. If you're doing that, you're suffering well. Yeah, right. Exactly. Suffering well still doesn't feel good. Exactly. So it's important to keep that. Like, don't beat your. Yeah. You're already suffering. Don't beat yourself up for not feeling good because you're suffering. Right. That's not gonna help anybody. Yeah, suffering is not a doesn't bring a therapeutic feel good goodiness to it. No, it right? doesn't. It's and it's just not meant painful. to because that's no. not what suffering is. Cool, awesome, yeah, yeah. that's good. This will, yeah, we'll just throw this into the drinking game. You know, it's you know, this will make a good topic one day. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm gonna try not to say it because people get real uppity. <laughs> they get uppity, but it would be a good. We we just anyways. Uh, mm-hmm. From uh, producer Nick, we're gonna go with producer Nick on this one because I love oh, this. Oh, good, uh, good, good, good. And he did this. He did this whole series of tweets, right? Of I am late. He hear me roar. He says, when the church is too cold, I put my jacket on rather than complain to Father after Mass. I am laity. Hear me roar. I just love wait, wait, wait. this. Before you yeah. go, he also put a little line emoji at the end of that. Yeah. I think that's yes. important for the visual. He did. <laughs> uh, I, just, I love this because people complain about the smallest and most insignificant things like a, the priest is not meant to be a micromanager. B, yes, guess what? Every decision he makes cannot be to everyone's preference. Mm-hmm. So instead of complaining, just do something about it yourself. Like, like, yeah, if it's still a little too cold for you, put on a jacket. It's not, you know, if it, or if it's too hot, take off the sweater, mm-hmm. you know, and everything's okay. And you, what if it's a little bit uncomfortable? Then maybe, because, you know, some people, everyone's body temperatures act differently, right? So... Right. It's just an hour. It's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not like it's a furnace or, you know, Antarctica. So just Yeah, chill. yeah. And like I totally get, especially with, with our older parishioners, that the temperature of the church is gonna affect them uh, yeah. in a deeper way. And I get that. Like yeah. there was one I don't know who it was, but a lady shook my hand after mass and her hands were like so cold right. and I was like, Oh, you poor thing, you know. So I, I get that, I get that. But like yeah. There, there's always so much you can do sometimes, especially yeah. like the okay. Uh, but also, this this is a reminder of my first assignment and and some of the parishes in this assignment where there's either no AC. It's a bigger, older church in the summer in Pittsburgh. Like every Sunday was a battle against dehydration and overheating. Like because you're up a few feet up because of where the sanctuary mm-hmm. is, which makes a big mm-hmm. difference. The lights are on you. Mm-hmm. And then you're wearing basically several blankets uh, yep. on top of everything else. So, like, I'm dying. And this is why, like, if you're an altar server, make sure you eat something and drink something before Mass. Mm-hmm. And I'm even willing to dispense you of the obligation because, oh, my goodness. It, I think I think everyone who's ever been an altar server has probably passed out at one point in time. So, make sure you take care of yourself because it, mm-hmm. it can be dangerous up there on the altar. 
exactly and and i think i mean the the larger point to nick's tweet is if we don't like something it doesn't mean we have to complain about it right away and sometimes you can actually just do something about it yourself right yeah exactly so Mm -hmm. yeah all right what you got i have something from the great jd flynn and he says it has been reported to me that there is quarreling among you my brothers what i mean is that each one of you says i follow watia or i follow bergoglio or i follow pius x or i follow christ and he goes on is christ divided was vegano crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of ratzinger yes and (laughs) (laughs) so yeah he's playing off of that part in uh paul it's it's so funny because it's the perennial problem of the church and christ it was one of the first problems christ saw even before he was crucified died and was resurrected is that the enemy is always going to be trying to divide his church and we're going to be talking about the unity of the church a little bit more um later on in the show but it's Mm -hmm. absolutely true and we can get so so narrow focused like so zoomed in on particular issues and particular people that we forget what it means to be catholic and even the great and even the great or the terrible figures in the church depending on your opinion they Mm -hmm. do not make the church they do not make your salvation and it's very important to watch out when we begin to label ourselves this kind of christian that kind of christian indeed in the catholic faith you need to be within it. So there is a necessary orthodoxy in that right practice, right prayer, right worship. Yeah, and that's very important. I'm not discounting that, but sometimes, and especially now when there's such a crisis of authority, many people take it upon themselves to pick up the authority for themselves. It doesn't belong to them. And that creates a lot of division and a lot of woundedness in the church. And you see this especially on the internet, but you see it in small ways. If a parish has several priests, they will follow around one priest and or have a favorite priest. And it's okay mm-hmm. to like different priests in different way it's okay to like different Mm -hmm. theological figures but you Mm -hmm. can't make that the basis for your christianity because if that's the basis for your christianity you're gonna get lost so i really appreciated this tweet yeah and when i was when i was teaching um, my intro theology class this week we were talking about um things around revelation right and so one of the one of my talks was on the magisterium yeah and i said at the end i said let me tell let's talk about religious submission of intellect and will and I said, religion means to be bind together. This is what we mean by religious submission, to bind myself in my intellect and in my will to those who have authority over me insofar as they legitimately exercise it. And this is something like to be Catholic means that while, and I think it's the same thing with popes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one can have a, pre- like, hey, obviously I'm a B16 fan, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I'm always, I'm always going to love listening to, to Benedict and I'm always going to love reading his stuff. Um, but just because I love that doesn't mean that I ought that I, I can choose to listen to him and not to like Francis. Right. That being a bad Catholic. A good Catholic says, I give my religious submission of intellect and will to all legitimate actions of ma- magisterial actions of the magisterium. So if a body of bishops are legitimately exercising their role in, exer- in putting forward a pastoral letters, or if the Pope is putting out different documents or making even different legal decisions, this requires a religious submission. Now, religious submission doesn't mean I absolutely have to agree, mm-hmm. but it does mean 
then I need to give it the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. As long, insofar as it doesn't contradict divine revelation, right? Because like we could talk about, okay, God says thou shalt not kill. And then we could talk, you know, so the Pope might explain that, right? So that, that, that's an explication. It's not dealing with doctrine directly or anything like that. So, oh, I don't know if I agree with the explanation this way. That's fine. But then also you keep it private. Yeah. Or you, you at least talk about it amongst friends. You don't go writing a blog post about it or going to do a tweet thread about why the Pope is wrong or a heretic or anything like that. That's actually being a bad Catholic. And actually, we should go to confession for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 it's, it's, what you said is absolutely true. And it's so hard to talk about because, one, we come at these things with a Western mindset. And a lot of our listeners, you know, and you know, myself included, struggle with this. You come at it with, a, with an American mindset where everyone's opinion is equal and valid. And that's, that's not Catholic. And it sounds weird, right? But it's absolutely true because unity is such, is such an important principle in the church. And Christ says it himself, that they may be one as uh, the Father and I are one. And Paul says it. And the early church fathers say it over and over and over again. And it's very much a missing the forest for the trees thing here. And to like, it also takes a lot of humility to step back and like, okay, what is my part in the body? of Christ. And to be real honest about that, because you can go on this huge, you know, internet crusade to save the church and you will lose your soul, you know? And it, it, like, I get it. It's tough. There's a lot of bad actors Confusion. out there, bad leaders in authority, mm -hmm. but it's, it's a tough ask, but it's an important, if we didn't ask it and didn't say it, we would be bad priests that exactly. we still have to keep what makes us Catholic. And we have to suffer through that. So don't lose that. Hi, everyone. Producer Nick here. I'm so sorry to interrupt the podcast, but this is what happened. Father Anthony was recording on a computer that was a very old computer. And he didn't know that randomly, out of nowhere, his audio started to make this blip, 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 uh, 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 this glitching noise. And it could be a plethora of things. The computer's really old, so maybe it wasn't keeping up with the recording. Maybe it was an electric thing. Maybe it was just a different internet. This technical error noise kept happening for the next five minutes while Father Anthony was transitioning into the beginning of presbyteral exhortations. The audio is so bad, I can't put you through it. So what I'm going to do is just tell you a little bit about where Father Anthony is going, which will make what Father Harrison says make a little bit more sense. So Father Anthony was talking about the parish. Think of your parish today. Is it the center of your community? Do all the other activities of the world, like public schools and social clubs, do they revolve around parish activities? Or does the parish basically get trampled on? It basically gets trampled on, and we as Christians kind of let that happen. The Catholic thing just kind of comes last in, in parishes. So Father Anthony asks this question. It's the identity question for parishes. What are parishes? What are their function anymore? Where are they going? So he, he, he relates this to the Sermon on the Mount, I didn't exactly get the connection why, because I'm just a dumb lay person. No, it's because I'm editing this at like three in the morning and, and I'm tired. I don't know. He couldn't have said anything that smart. It was just like a five minute thing, but he relates this to the Sermon on the Mount. And he relates it to, to being the salt of the earth and stuff. Theology. Yay. 
Anyway, here is Father Harrison giving his remarks to what Father Anthony said, not necessarily what I just said, but I basically give you the gist of what Father Anthony said. Again, we're so sorry for the technical difficulties, but we hope you enjoy the rest of Clerically Speaking. Produced by producer Nick, who's really cool. Yeah. Right. Hmm. So my brain obviously goes more to um, genealogical questions, like where does this come from? Why is this happening, right? And I've been, we were talking a little bit about this before we, we, we started recording, right? Um, I, I remember there was that thread a few months ago on, on Twitter talking about how, why, like why the American church is where it's at and around stuff like with Vatican II and everything, right? And, but I was, I was really struck by this kind of need by the American bishops in the early 20th century to be to legitimize themselves to American culture, right? And and so I recognize definitely that there has always been a anti-Catholic bend to American society because America is fundamentally at first Protestant. Okay, so I totally recognize this, um, and it's always interesting because like there's there's anti-Catholicism everywhere, and like in Quebec, for example, which was a very Catholic place, is now very anti-Catholic, but it's a different, it's a it's a different type of persecution almost. It's almost like a, it's a reaction rather than like a, we are really hesitant towards this. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. So, um, so anyways, uh, but he was talking about in this thread about how uh, the Irish bishops in order to be seen as legitimized in American culture, were kind of institutionalizing the church according to an American view of institutionalization. Okay. And that's where I, that's where we're at still. Like this is how we run the church. This is how we 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 look at her parishes and everything. We look at her according to an American bureaucratic view of institution rather than a canonical sense of institution. So I'll give you an example of how um, I won't name names or regions, but I have I have um, I have a friend who is wanting to get their child baptized and they just moved and so they're not really in a parish yet and they want they want me to go out to do the baptism and they phone up the parish and they say well you can only do this if first you're registered in the parish and he's like now where in canon law does it say that that has to happen nowhere (laughs) nowhere this is the problem right it doesn't say this anywhere you have as long you are here's the thing in canon law by virtue of where you live, generally, I mean, there's always some, can law gets a little flexible with this too, but generally where you live determines which parish you belong to. Right. And you are there automatically by the law of the church. You, Because you live there, you have rights to the sacraments according to the fact that you live there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or I have friends who are wanting to get married in, 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 in November. And they go up to the parish and they say, you can't book a date until six months before the wedding. I'm like, what? <laughs> Where does it say this in canon law? You see, here's the thing. We're creating policies according to a bureaucratic structure rather than to a canonical structure. And then we and then people say, I hate the church for her rules. Well, I'm like, yeah, but these rules have nothing to do with her life. And so I think like this is this is why we 
we are where we're at and where why because we actually we lost our saltiness a long time ago <laughs> yes we did uh-huh and we and, lost a long time ago. and the thing was when you've got uh parishes and places that are economically prosperous uh when there's influx of people when you have a lot of priests so a lot of priests for one parish the parish can afford to run that way in a worldly yeah. sense and yeah. the parish can afford to be kind of in the service model of of ministry and not service as in like going out and helping the poor but parishioners go to the parish to receive a service so they have to you know abide by certain contracts it's really it's a capitalist kind of view of what the parish should be as well exactly is, that's a huge part of the american mindset as well exactly but now that everything sucks and is broken and is falling apart we can't operate in that way but it's hard to make that shift in our minds it's hard to make that cultural change because we've been living it for so long even if we don't realize it yeah and this is where um this is kind of proof that theology really is the queen of the sciences and canon laws are handmaiden because right. because the theology Amen. actually Amen. explains why these rules make sense so you have understanding exactly. of the theology it brings life to what the rules are going on it's the heart of it okay so if a parish is delineated by these boundaries and everyone who lives within the parish in those boundaries, that's the parish. Well, then you got to think of a few things. You know, I think every parish has, um, you know, a few dozen really good people who go out and bring communion. Okay. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, every single shut-in, every grandmother, every grandfather who's either a shut-in or in the hospital, every single one is your grandfather and your mm -hmm. grandmother. When mm -hmm. someone isn't at worship on Sunday, that means your brother or your sister isn't at worship on Sunday. Exactly. And that should change the way that we live out our Christianity. Because I think really what it comes down to is we're not good as parishes at loving one another. Mm -hmm. And loving one another, that's what makes community make sense. Right. So, so often when we talk about community in a parish, we think about events. And now events are really good facilitators for community. They can be when they're done well, right? But then you've got this thing that happens in so many places where let's say there's a fish fry because all throughout America there's, you know, or at least East Coast fish fries on Friday, right? Mm -hmm. And you have certain people who run the fish fry and they've run it for years and they're good at it. You know, they know how it works. They know what's going on. But then they kind of insulate themselves against anyone else because this is their thing. And it's like, I've heard the stories a thousand times. A younger person actually wants to volunteer for the fish fry. They show up and the people running this show say, we don't need you. Okay. Now, if you're running a business, that makes sense because you don't need this new person doesn't have any experience. Things are running well. You're making money off the fish fry. Fine. But if you have a Christian mindset, you know that the fish fry doesn't serve itself. It's supposed to serve community and the building up of love among the people. So you're mm -hmm. willing to take the risk of, you know what, there might be a few batches of the fish that aren't up to snuff. Hopefully they're not mm -hmm. like gonna give anyone like kind of illness, right? right? <laughs> but like things might be a little inefficient, but you're willing to make that sacrifice because the fish fry isn't an end in itself, right? right? So now you have the case where a lot of the things that people really enjoyed about parishes, festivals, fish fries, all these events, they're all dying because there's no one there to take it up that they've been taught and it's sometimes generations of people have been taught that you're not wanted here or more often for so long these things have just happened 
It yeah. just happens. You know, mass times have just happened. You've always had the mass time you like, and you can always go to it. Events yeah. have just happened, and you just go, you pay your money, and you get your food or whatever, and you go about your business. And then there's this feeling of chaos. Who are we when these things don't happen? Mm -hmm. And so we ask ourselves, okay, okay, so then what, how do you, how do you fix this? And this is, this right. is what's driving me crazy. This is because I don't, there's no, there's no easy answer to this. At least right. I haven't thought of one. Um, but I think it has to come from the Eucharist, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. this whole thing, like the whole, the Sermon on the Mount of being salt and light, everything that Christ says about loving your neighbor. Okay. You can't divorce the message from the messenger in this case. Mm -hmm. Because this isn't a philosopher saying these are good ideas. This is the God man saying, this is who I've made you to be. This is who I've redeemed you to be. And so we right. cannot do these things without grace. But the thing, Father Harrison, that's driving me crazy is that all these people go to mass mm -hmm. and there's still no community. Right. Okay. So what's going on? So, okay. First, I think like when you're talking about earlier about how if we see we see and i think you're absolutely right um we need to see the parish as a family and like like so actually i said this this weekend at my parish i said because i was preaching a little bit on my five years i said i know i'm half the age or more than most of you but i'm still your father yeah i'm still your father i have your spiritual father in in faith i am the one who's here to lead you to heaven this is my job this is my purpose this is what i exist for mm -hmm. these are the things i do to help achieve this um, and that's why this is why like this is why it's a sin not to go to mass on Sunday. It has nothing to do with what you do with your hour in a way. It has everything to do that you've hurt the body. Yeah. You see, this is we we need to really implement and internalize Lumen Gentium. So which is the dogmatic constitution on the church, mm -hmm. right? From Vatican II. This document is speaking to everything you're talking about. And I think yes, it is the Eucharist that is the bond of this all. Absolutely, right? This is, it really is, right? Um, you know, it'd be interesting actually to read John Paul II's last encyclical on the Eucharist now because he taught it's about the connecting the eucharist with the church mm -hmm. but um the to do this means making decisions that support a canonical theological vision of the parish and the church yes and to be willing now you have to do your best to bring people along with that and yeah. you can't just do it in one fell swoop but you also have to be willing to say we are probably going to get smaller because of it. Mm -hmm. So that, yeah, you're going to have, like, this is why I think, this is where I think, you know, people talk about Ratzinger's kind of quote unquote prophecy. I see, I foresee a, a pure, a pure, a smaller, but pure church type of thing. And people look at that as if it's the end goal. <laughs> it's not the goal. It's not the goal. It's the starting point. Yeah. It's the starting point. And I think he's right there, actually. I think, And I think we have to, essentially, we have to be okay with this. People are going to walk away. Our resources are going to be less. 
but we're going to have a deeper communion with each other. And then we, we live this as a, that's where we live as a body where we begin to become salty. So like, um, I've been reading for spiritual reading, Pope Benedict's The Yes of Jesus Christ. It's his, it's a spiritual retreat he offered on the three theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. Hmm. At the end of the chapter on faith, he's talking about evangelization. And he says, we need to stop being programmatic, overly planny, etc. This is a common theme of his. He's saying this is, so what then ought, what then ought the new evangelization to look like? He says, let's take a page out of the early church. He says, the early church was the most successful evangelical outreach in the history of the church. And he says, what did they do? There was no strategic plan. There was no five-year plan. There was no four-program initiation into the church. He said, it was simply this. They loved one another. Yeah. And they lived as a communion. And this church grew on average about 40% a year. And this is when people are being killed for the faith too, by the way. And it's growing to the point that when Charlemagne comes around, Christianity is an unstoppable force. So it's either we get on board with it or we run away from it (laughs) and we get overcome by it, right? So he says it's simple. We have to be like the early Christians, which live Christianity as a way. And so we need to start making decisions and even like like things around community and stuff like this, it has to be done in such a way that initiates people into seeing Christianity as a way. Yeah, this is the way. Yes, this is the way, the truth <laughs> yeah. and the life. Yeah, I want to say a few things about, about what you just said. Um, so a lot of times people hear what Ratzinger said about smaller, purer church. And right. okay, so a smaller, purer church does not mean oh, this is going to be really great because everyone in the church will be people who I like. (laughs) No. Right? Loving people isn't about having a community of people you like. It's never been about that. And that's why I think so many people are so quick to jump on this claim and like, this is what we need to do. And they, a lot of people jump on that claim and like, yeah, we need a smaller, purer church because they actually don't have love, right? They'd rather just kick out everybody else and only have the people they like. And that's not what Ratzinger is saying. That's not what, what love is. And the thing is, like, uh, priests often have not been good models of this either. You know, mm-hmm. you've got divisions among um, theological persuasions, uh, divisions among age and generation. And how mm-hmm. often do priests do a good job of modeling this, of talking with each other? you know, of disagreeing, but holding each other in this bond of, of fraternity and charity. So often we don't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like part of what it really means to love the other person is to be willing to engage in, in difficult conversations where your priorities, a lot of them aren't mine, but our biggest mm-hmm. priority is God and this desire to live the way he has asked us, informed us and redeemed us to live. And like, so events aren't the solution but there's got to be a way the church can help facilitate those conversations but at the same time even if you have proper facilitation is there that need and that desire and the other thing is 
I'm I'm against the the very easy kind of save the liturgy, save the world thing because I think a lot of times mm-hmm. that's misinterpreted and is kind of a Pelagian way of looking at the church. But in worship, you have a lot of the same problems we talked about as far as uh, a parish being a, a kind of service thing. Where how often are the hymns about us and not about not about God? How often? is the mass about the personality of the priests and not about the worship right. of God, yep. you know? Yep. And so even subliminally, because we we learn, whether we're aware of it or not, by signs and symbols, our liturgy needs to reflect who we are and what we're doing. And you and you see yeah. this in, in prayer and worship that's done really well. I'll never forget, like, the closest I've ever felt to a large group of people was when I was at IPF, and there were like 300 guys there, and we were all together on this silent retreat for, for eight days. And mm-hmm. none of us ever spoke to each other, but I can't explain the fraternity we felt and how the rest right. of the summer, you know, as you were meeting guys, we were talking to each other, we were listening to each other. Or, you know, after, you know, a Steubenville conference or something like that, or a big kind of prayer and worship night. I don't think it's just the fact that it's a energetic and emotionally satisfying experience to a lot of people. I don't think it's just that. I think it's because everyone who is there, or at least a lot of people who were there, were really praying. And that that forms a community that is you can't like scientifically test this or prove this, right? You can't Mm -hmm. put this in a in an economics paper or a a paper on social community stuff. There's something deeper happening there. And something I don't think often happens at mass because a lot of people are going into it and with this idea of like okay i'm going there i'm doing my obligation if i like the music and it's easy i'll sing it if not then i won't um there's right. also a lack of catechesis of what's going on so it's not like by reforming the liturgy and it's not like that's it's not a magic bullet but it does need to be there as a basis and foundation for everything else we're gonna do right so I want to propose something that I think is at least one small step in becoming a way forward. It's connected to liturgy. It's not the same thing, but it's connected. Sure. This is something uh, I shared this on the weekend with my people, um, what God's been putting on my heart. Uh, so I'm like I said, I'm more or less. There's the odd day I, I kind of miss it, but more or less I do a holy hour every day. Yeah. And what God's been putting on my heart is that's not enough. Interesting. What's been being put on my heart is that I need to be praying two to three hours a day. Ooh, that's a lot of prayer. That's a that's a lot of prayer, right? When will you have your meetings? You have to reduce them. Oh no. Because now, why am I saying this? If we want to be able to see properly, we need to be men of prayer. Yeah. And we need to be a church of prayer. Mm. And to help our people see properly, they need to know that what we preach, teach, and act out of comes from a deep communion with Jesus. Mm, Yes. So that it can draw them into that communion as well. Because we know there are people who are hard-hearted in the pews. There are people who leave because they don't like this priest or that priest. They don't like the size of the hymnal, whatever it might be. Uh, That, when people do this, it's because they haven't been taught how to see. Mm. When you've been taught how to see properly, like to see reality for what it really is, 
things are going to happen that you don't like sometimes. And that might be like, you know, maybe let's say it's liturgically incorrect or whatever. Let's say, I don't know, let's say the priest skips over the penitential rite. Sure. Okay. But if you know how to see properly, you realize, yeah, this isn't great. And there's maybe a way to handle this, but it's not the end of the world. Because mm. it's it's it makes it's an, it again again you don't want to encourage it, but you start to see things differently. You're like Jesus is still here, he's still at work. When you start to see properly, and not only that, then when people see the priest as a man of contemplation, and they see, there is a deeper grace at work there that it shows this is not you. Yeah. Everything you say, everything you do, every decision you make flows from the heart of prayer. When it flows from the heart of prayer, people are going to be drawn. But like it's going to, we have a problem of, of desire today. People don't know how to desire properly. Desire has been reduced. But when they see a humanity alive as it ought to be, that's going to inflame their desire. And that is all God's grace at work because the man of contemplation realizes more and more this is God at work. And what I do is just at service. I am but an instrument in his hands. I think, I don't know, for some reason, God's been putting that in my heart. And trust me, I'm not perfect at prayer. I suck at it. But for some <laughs> reason, he comes putting it, he puts it on my heart. And I'm like, okay, I, I got to, so I'm trying to figure out how this is going to look and work. But yeah, but this is the other thing, because then it's saying, what are we, because then when the priest is saying, this is what's most important for you as my parishioners that I do this. When the priest makes these decisions this way, that starts to form people too. Yeah. If this is important to him. It's important. It should be important to me. Right. And I think even if it doesn't end up being three hours of prayer, I think right. the, the, the point of, or the, the heart of this desire is this need to pray for your people more. I mm -hmm. think, I think that's absolutely true. But the other end, and this is, this is part of the reason why I'm bringing up uh, a conversation more than a, a teaching is that I don't have the answers. You know, mm -hmm. and even uh, a very holy priest can't do this on his own. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very much looking like the people who listen to the podcast, like, I want you guys to be thinking about this and praying about yeah. this. And because it, it's going to happen in, in really small ways, in, yeah. in really tiny ways of where you're, oh, there's a new person at the parish. I'm inviting them over. It's going to happen in small ways of like, you know what? My family doesn't really pray together. Can we at least start with a Hail Mary before we go to bed? Or whatever it's going to be yeah. to to more and more form a community of love. And yeah, the priest needs to set a good example and pray for that and, uh, you know, beg God's inner, you know, uh, God, uh, God's grace through the priest's intercession. Absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely, absolutely. But also like, uh, I don't have the answers. Um, and we have a little bit of way of what we can do, but this is a part of what it means to be a family is that every member of the family contributes in the way that they can. It can't be just mm -hmm. the father or just the mother or just the oldest or just exactly. the youngest. So, um, this is a family effort and it doesn't happen overnight either, which is, you know, I have to remind myself as well because I can, I can preach about unity and love <laughs> and I can do it in an amazing sort of way, but that's not gonna, there's no magic bullet. There's no magic bullet. It happens but, one person at a time. Exactly. And there is a way forward. So, yeah this is a first attempt at at least a discussion about it yeah amen yeah good cool so thanks for listening to the podcast as i pull up the notes for what i say when the podcast is over but you don't mind i'm taking a little bit of a longer time because that background music is it's just so funky it's just so good um 
please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me at Spicy Nugs Podcast. You can find Father Harrison at FR Harrison. Contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter or find us on Facebook or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Peace. God bless.